Well, this morning I would like to begin with something that has never happened before. A young couple uh, gets married and they're, they're having a wonderful day. They're spending time together, they're communicating, they're flirting, they're joking. It's really sort of all that they envisioned before they were married. It's all they envisioned would um, happen. And then all of a sudden, maybe it was in the middle of a joke. Maybe not. There are icicles in the air. And the young husband cannot figure out what has happened. He has no idea why all of a sudden things cooled off. And so he begins to do the one thing that he knows how to do. He begins to fix it. So he walks around the house and he picks up his dirty clothes. It's a good start. He goes to the kitchen, he does the dishes, he empties the garbage, and returns to his wife certain that those things, those acts of service, will melt the icicles between them. Except it doesn't. The problem is still there. And so it's at this point that he makes the critical mistake. At this point, he ventures to ask her, so what is the problem? To which she quickly replies, you are. You are the problem. Now, we don't have time this morning to do the marital counseling necessary for this couple. But what they experience is sadly quite common, isn't it? And it's common not only with spouses, it's common with other people. You don't really know why you get the silent treatment or why someone withdraws or why somebody is angry with you all the time. You don't know that. But the real problem is that sometimes that happens in our relationship with God. There are times when God seems distant or God seems silent. And you don't really know how to break through. And so what is, um, what's the solution? I'll tell you the solution that so many of us try. The solution is to scurry about, isn't it? trying some external thing after another external thing, hoping that we can regain his freedom. We'll serve here. We'll give money here. We'll maybe take a plate of cookies to a nursing home here. We'll do something in hopes that after we've done something, God will smile on us again. God will somehow treat us a little better. And so we do these external things in hope that somehow God will accept us. Now, I make this sound as though it's an individual issue, and it is. Really, I think there's a sense in which we are all wired to do that. But the reality is this also is religious history. The history of religion, and really, could, you could say it's Christianity, it could be any other religion, is to try and fix our problems with God by our own activity 
that um, is for the most part surface level. We are trying to get along with God by putting a veneer or a coat of paint on our own selves so that we look better to Him. You remember, if you were here last week, that that was the issue. The Pharisees had traveled up to 90 miles to talk to Jesus about His disciples who, of all the problems He could possibly pick on, they picked this one. They were eating without washing their hands. 90 miles to report this to Jesus. That somehow, if they just washed their hands, they would be squared away with God. Well, our text this morning is a continuation of the confrontation that Jesus is having because they thought they could solve internal problems with external means. Because they thought that they could uh, go about something as simple as washing their hands and have that fix their uh, relational problem with God. And so Jesus is not, Jesus is never content just to let it lie. But he's not content to let it lie here either. So I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 15. In Matthew chapter 15 verse 10, we'll pick up the story after Jesus has confronted the Pharisees, he now wants to talk to other people. And so it reads like this. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, But what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then his disciples came to him. Do do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my my heavenly Father has planted will be rooted up. Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. Peter said to them, to him, explain this parable to us. And he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So Jesus is quick to press the point. He doesn't want to just let it go. But he presses the point and says, sin which springs from your heart not from something external, makes you unacceptable before God. Jesus wants everyone to know, and He wants everyone to take responsibility for their own sin, rather than look to something outside themselves for the explanation of that sin. And I know that because 
Jesus starts out pressing the point. It says, he called the people to himself and said to them, verse 10, hear and understand. Now, I don't know of another place in all the Gospels that Jesus said, hear and understand. He will say, he who has ears, let him hear. So it's just close. But Jesus says this to press the point, to make sure that they recognize this is something they have to pay attention to. This is a central Christian issue. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, part of his kingdom, you have to get this right here and understand. Now I know people don't say hear and understand very much anymore, right? Probably never been in a gathering where people say, hear and understand. But the, the same kind of thing happens all the time. You can imagine a grade school teacher um, with a class that's just a little too noisy saying, sit down and listen. Okay, it might be kind of like that. Jesus telling them, sit down and listen. Or possibly, this is like a, a coach at a critical point in the game calling a timeout. The momentum has gotten away from the team. And he calls a timeout. And, and he sits the team down and he says, pay attention. This is what we're going to do next. And so, it's after he calls the timeout and he says, pay attention. The team must know that what is, what's about to come next is very important. And so Jesus, I think, is trying to communicate for you and for me a sense of urgency that we dare not miss. Because I think that he wants to make sure that we recognize that religion misses this point that he's talking about that the religious leaders Jesus is addressing have missed it so long that it constitutes a crisis. And so, the very simple point Jesus makes is that what comes out of your mouth defiles you. That's what he wants people to get. Slow down, stop, hear and understand what comes out of your mouth defiles you, not what goes in. In other words, you need to take responsibility for your own moral condition. You need to take responsibility for what is coming out. You need to recognize that what's in here can't stay in here without coming out. And it's not a matter of what goes in. Something is not merely going to happen to you in such a way that it causes you to be crosswise with God. You're not going to accidentally get crosswise with God because something happened to you. And so you can't merely do some surface level cure like wash your hands and hope that everything's going to be okay. 
That's what's going on here. Is they're, they're trying to fix this breach they have with God by doing something as mundane and external as washing their hands. So Jesus says, time out. Hear and understand. It's the things that come out of you that cause the problem with God, not the things that go into you. It's very easy for us to say that it's our environment or our upbringing that causes our problems. Uh, I suppose with, when we have a child and parent dedication, it's easy to say, it's the parents that messed me up. It's their fault. It's easy to blame things outside for what goes on inside. And I think Jesus is inviting us now to stop, take the time out, hear and understand. You can pause before you reply. You can pause before you respond. You can pause anytime you like and say, what is going on in my heart that's causing these things to come out? If you ask yourself that question, you'll make a ton of progress in your faith journey to say why is why is this a problem for me what is it that makes me desire that or say that or respond emotionally that way if you ask pause and ask yourself that why question taking responsibility it'll be way different than if you dismiss it because something is happening to you and so this is new. I mean, you may have been around church long enough that this is like, oh, um, and I'm not adding anything new by talking about this. But the disciples are confused. They've never heard this before. And so they're trying to reconcile what Jesus says with what their teachers had said. And so they're struggling when Jesus says, hear and understand this, it's not what goes in but what comes out that defiles you. That's brand new. And so they're trying to figure this out. And so look at verse 12, because verse 12 introduces the next thing that Jesus wants to make sure that we hear and understand. <laughs> the disciples came to Jesus and said to him, Do you know? Newsflash. Do you know? The Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying. Now, I, I think that's a little bit hilarious. Because I don't know how much you know, emotional intelligence you think it might take to see these religious leaders out on the periphery or after a direct confrontation with Jesus, you know, shaking their heads and stomping away. Of course they were offended. Of course Jesus could tell they were offended. But the problem was the disciples. They'd never heard this before. And it was offensive to the people who had been their religious instructors. And so Jesus responds in verse 13, and then in verse 14, uh, makes sure that they see what it is that they uh, must hear and understand. And in 13, he says, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Now, that's, that's a good verse. It's a good word picture. It's vivid. I have visions of my garden with all these weeds growing up. 
and figuring out I got to go out there and pull them up, lay them down, hope the sun comes out and just scorches them. They don't regrow. That's my vision for this verse. And if that was all I had, that would probably be enough. Because the Lord didn't plant them. They're weeds. And they're going to get pulled up and scorched. But I think more than that, Jesus is adding um, some import to the, the conflict that he's having with these teachers. Because they were everywhere. I mean, in your New Testament, anyway, Pharisees are everywhere, aren't they? Every all the gospel accounts, there's a Pharisee here and a Pharisee. Jesus doesn't go anywhere without them. And they're always giving guidelines and offering traditions about everything. So, of course, these unlearned fishermen naturally paid deference to those teachers, as did the disciples who had a little more religious background, because this was a problem. So this offense that they had uh, was an offense because Jesus, I think, had quoted the Old Testament to them. Nobody really likes the Bible quoted to them, do they? But if you look back up at um, verses 8 and 9, Jesus quotes the Bible to them. It's one of the most pointed prophecies, and he said, they said this about you. They didn't say this, say this. They said it about you. What was it? It was Isaiah 29, 13. Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. He said this about you. You draw near with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. That's a problem. And of course they were offended. And so the way that Jesus goes about trying to reconcile that is to say they're like plants pulled up that God never planted. And so, yes, I get a picture of my garden, but that's not, I don't think, the picture Jesus had in mind. Because Jesus had just finished telling them a story about wheat and weeds. In Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30, he tells a story. Um, King James says wheat and tares, and so that's how we know the story. It's a story of the wheat and the weeds. And it turns out that uh, the, the farmer planted the, the wheat with clean, uh, the field with clean wheat, and it was going to be a great, and, except that when the plants got a little bigger, there were weeds in the middle of the wheat. And the servants came to the master and they said, what should we do about the weeds? Do you want us to pull them up? And he said, no, don't pull them up because if you pull them up, it'll pull the wheat also. Just leave them. The, the weeds were sowed by the enemy, he says. Just leave them. Now, this just leave them, you'll notice, is the same thing he says in verse 14, isn't it? Leave them alone. Leave these teachers alone. Because they are, they are teaching something that will not help you. It will not help you to do some surface solution to a root problem. 
Leave them alone. It's the same language the master told the servants. Because the master will sort it out at harvest time. Now I think it's easy for us to put all of this in kind of a Bible box and put it away on a shelf and say, I know that story. I know about Pharisees. I know about this, but I want you to recognize that Jesus says here and understand it's not what's on the outside, it's, what on, it's what's on the inside. It's not what goes into you, but what comes out of you that gets you wrong with God. And so we've got to fix what's on the inside, not get it right so much on the outside. As I mentioned, the disciples were confused because they'd never heard this before. And there was a lot of pressure. As you read the Gospels too, you, whenever, every time you see the, the, the name Pharisee, you see somebody trying to apply pressure to do it their way or to do some external thing or to pray this way or to offer this way or to not eat on the Sabbath or whatever the rule is, they're putting the pressure on. So I, I'm not sure. I mean, we sort of yawn and say, yes, Jesus wants my heart. That's the Sunday school answer. That is not what's happening here. What is happening here, there are some grown-ups trying to figure out how could all of the things that I've learned so far be wrong? How can all of this external performance that I've been doing not count for anything? There was a ton of social pressure here. And it's not like our, unlike our day. It's not, uh, we've had some issues like this. And people might advise me not to bring it up, but I'm going to so that you will feel what the disciples were feeling. We had a similar question that was posed in not such religious terms in the last couple years. I'm going to put religious terms on it so that you feel it that way, but I think you'll recognize it. The question that we have had in the last few years is, would I be justified, that's a religious term, right, by taking the vaccine? Or would I be defiled by taking the vaccine. And I think for almost all the blood pressure just like went up here in the room. Mine did too. But the reality is, the reality is there's, pressure, there's been pressure around that. And we've heard lots of things from various sides and we have identified one way or the other. And the question is the wrong question, isn't it? Am I justified or defiled by something that goes into me or into me is the wrong question. We can say that now that we have the vantage point of a couple years, but there was so much social pressure, really, to identify one way or the other that it was almost unbearable, as I remember it anyway. What kind of person will I be was the answer that we ended up coming to as we made that decision. 
In other words, the disciples are now under this kind of pressure with that same kind of thing. Will what comes into me defile me or will what comes into me uh, justify me? And then Jesus continues. He says, they are blind leaders of the blind and will end up in a pit along with the people they lead. Leave them alone. Do not grab the arm of a blind guide because if you can't see and they can't see, you're going to end up in a ditch. So Jesus was not real complimentary of these religious leaders. Their blindness is illustrated in this very issue that we're talking about. They were made blind because of their commitment to their traditions, because of their determination to identify with the other religious people. They were going to miss Jesus. They had become so lost, groping in the dark for something. And they can no longer see what God wants from his people which is their hearts. And since they couldn't see it, and they're blind leaders of the blind, Jesus said, leave them alone. Hear and understand this. Leave them alone. He said, hear and understand this. It's not what comes in, it's what goes out. And then, finally, in the last few verses, he says, what comes out of your mouth is the measure of your heart. That's the third thing he wants to make sure that they hear and understand. What what comes out of your mouth is the measure of your heart. Now I love this. Look at verse 15. <laughs> verse 15. I, I, I mean, I said there's pressure. You can't understand this if you don't realize there was pressure. Because Peter says, <laughs> Peter says, explain this parable to us. This is, a, this is the easiest parable in the history of parables. Isn't it? you got a blind leader of the blind, and there's a ditch, and they fall in. Explain this parable to us. It's not hard. But they're looking for something, really, to, to reconcile the pressure here between the external life and the internal life. The reality is that Jesus had a very clear view. In his very clear view is what he communicated to them. That your heart really is what will defile you, not what comes in. Jesus knew human nature. He'd seen it all over. Jesus knew the scriptures. He knew Jeremiah 17.9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Of course it is. Who can understand it? Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, you must know that the wrong things will naturally come out unless it's changed. And you would also know that merely painting over the outside is not going to keep those things from bubbling out. The paint is just going to rot away. You can't cover over it somehow in the hope that the problem will go away if the problem remains on the inside. So Jesus tells us that it's not what comes, it's, what, it's not what comes in, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, verse 18. 
And this defiles a person. It's what comes out of the heart. In the book that many of you read the past couple years, Dane Ortland uh, says this. He says, when the Bible speaks of the heart, whether the Old Testament or the New, he says, it is not speaking of our emotional life only, like Valentine's Day, but it's speaking of the central animating center of all we do. The heart is what gets us out of bed in the morning, and it's what we daydream about as we drift off to sleep. And this, I I think, is a great summary. It is our motivation headquarters. Another place he says the heart in biblical terms is not part of who we are, but the center of who we are. Our heart is what defines and directs us. And so, of course, then, you're going to be wise to be on guard about what is coming out of your heart and and take that pause and take that look and say, why is this coming up? What is it about my heart that is causing this to happen? I mean, Jesus is on message here, isn't he? He has been saying this all along. If you go back to Matthew chapter 12, Uh, Verse 33 says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? Then here is is the sentence that uh, keeps me humble all the time. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And see, it's very easy for us, isn't it, to try and solve heart problems with external means. Again, Jesus, when I say Jesus on message, here particularly with this list. If you look at the list, I mean, the list that Jesus gives us is a serious list, isn't it? Verse 19, For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false witness and slander. The things you don't want in your life, they come from your heart. Now, when I say that Jesus was on message, we've heard this from him before, not only in Matthew 12, but if you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, what does the Sermon on the Mount say? Sermon on the Mount says, you know what? It's good that you haven't committed adultery. But what about your heart? Do you lust in your heart? It's fine that you haven't killed anybody. In fact, we're in favor of that. But do you get angry? See, these are heart questions Jesus is asking. Jesus has always been asking the heart questions. The Beatitude are, Beatitudes are heart issues. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those for, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus is all about 
the heart. So he is on message again here, reiterating the distinction between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world. You're going to be part of the kingdom of heaven. You're going to need a new heart because the old heart doesn't function in the kingdom. And so the answer, according to Jesus, is an inside-out answer, not an outside-in answer. And so he summarizes that, doesn't he, in the, in the last verse there in verse 20, when he says, these are what defile a person or make them uh, crosswise with God. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a person. There is not an external thing that you can do that is somehow going to fix the problems that you have between you and God. The answer is inside out, not outside in. And that's just so contrary to the way that we're wired because we would say, no, let's start on the outside. Let's make the outside look good. If we do the right things, God will be happy with us. Now, if you've never told yourself that, then you're ahead of me. Because I think it's very easy for us to try and fix our problem with God, hoping by doing something, He will accept us. It's just like that young husband and his wife, isn't it? He's going to scurry around and try and do those things so that she will be okay with him again. When in fact, it was his heart that was the problem. And I think that's one of the things that leaves me off balance. It should leave you off balance too, I think. Because Jesus in this text gives us the diagnosis. He gives us the diagnosis. He tells us, this is how you see the problem. All of these things come out of your heart. The problem is not that you haven't washed your hands. So you can tell your problem because these things will come out. And we get this diagnosis from Jesus. And it's the one that he's been addressing all along. From the beginning, the Sermon on the Mount, all the way through. And yet, we're powerless to fix it. We know where the change needs to take place. It needs to take place here. I mean, I, I remember vividly the, <laughs> the moment, and it was way too far into my marriage, when I got the diagnosis, really. The things you're doing are the things that are causing the problem. And it was like, oh, that's true. As soon as I realized, the, though, as soon as I realized that, then all of a sudden I knew the thing that needed to change. And it was me. It wasn't outside circumstances, it was me. And now, when we're talking about a relationship with God, you've got to know what needs to change. It's your heart. You need Jesus to do something for you. That's what he's getting to here, is that good luck with that heart of yours. I'll tell you what's going to come out. And sure enough, the things Jesus says come out, they come out. 
What are you going to do about that? You are powerless to fix it. It is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? You see, that's what Jesus has been highlighting all along, is that to be a citizen of his kingdom, to belong to Jesus, is to have a new heart. It's to have him do something for you you can't do for yourself. I just uh, I smile when I think of the conversation that he had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and uh, he was trying to figure this out too. And Jesus said, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. And he said, how can you enter your mother's womb and be born again? He couldn't get it. And Jesus was simply saying, you must be born again. You must have a new heart. Given to you, you must have a new life that you don't have apart from Jesus if you're going to see the kingdom of heaven. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but has everlasting life. Jesus, here he diagnoses the problem, but elsewhere he gives us the solution for sure. He will give you a new start. He will take out that old heart and give you a new heart. The end of his life, he's having a meal with his disciples. And during the meal, he takes the cup and he just says, This is the new covenant in my blood. Remember this as often as you drink it. And you're to remember, you're to remember that Jesus inaugurated a new covenant. Now, what's the new covenant? The new covenant, according to Ezekiel 36, and I mentioned this last week, is God's pledge to give you a new heart. This heart problem, Jesus says, all these things come out. You want a new one? You want one that'll have a different inclination, that'll have different, that'll be a different motivation center? You want a new one? God promises in Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The great promise that you have from God is that if you will ask, He will enter this kind of covenant relationship with you. And so all you need to do is just, it's a prayer, but it isn't a very fancy prayer. It's just, God, I just need a new heart. This old heart I've got isn't isn't doing what it needs to do. It doesn't love the things it should love. Would you give me a new heart? And He will respond to that, and He's pledged Himself to answer that prayer in the new covenant. And so, I just want to encourage you, if you're here and that's part of the battle that you have and that's why you came this morning, he'll give you a new heart if you ask him. And when you get the new heart, it'll come with, it'll come with its challenges, but it will come with new desires, new sensitivities, and you'll have to You'll have to readjust like the disciples did, won't you? To an inward life instead of an exterior life. To be what it means to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength instead of on the outside. And may God grant us all the grace
to be people who live from the inside out instead of from the outside in. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we all have at one time or another had things come out of our heart that we're embarrassed about or ashamed about. That we are um, guilty in that regard before you. Yet, we praise you for the promise of the new heart. That you have come that we might have life. That you might give us a new start. And Father, I pray that um, you would grant grace to every person here to beg you for that new heart. That you might be gracious to give it. And that we all might live out of a new heart instead of the old stony one. And Father, we love you from the inside out, I pray. And we can't do this on our own, and so we need your help. Amen.